You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat, man. Excited to see y'all in worship. We're going to have a good time today as we study God's Word. Y'all doing okay? You doing okay? All right, yeah, we're alive. We're good. I want to start off by uh, throwing a picture on the screen. Maybe. Let's try it again. Oh, my bad. Let me try it one more time. I always struggle with this remote. There, there we go. I'll let you guys run it back there. Oh, you good, dude. No worries. Um, this is in India, in Delhi, India. Um, I cannot pronounce uh, what this is called. I even, I should have like Instagrammed one of my buddies from India. But anyways, um, this is a place in Delhi, and this was built by Muslims in uh, around 1110 A.D., um, and that there's actually some very important, uh, at least in the Muslim world, very important Muslim leaders buried at this site. So you've got this one, I can't remember how tall this is, but it's, it's, it's pretty breathtaking. There's a big tree below it. You can see how much bigger it is. Now, if we can go to that next slide, um, this, not right here, but the, more in the middle of the screen, that was the base of what was going to be the exact same tower, but they... As you can tell, they didn't quite finish it, right? Like, not the same result. So they started off really well. Like, if we can go back to the previous one, uh, man, that's really cool. It's beautiful. Obviously, we're not um, Muslim, but still, we can appreciate the artwork. If you go to the next one again, like, totally different, right? So started really well, and then it ended really poorly. Uh, there are lots of things in life like that. And actually, the, the, more, the better you start and the more poorly you finish, the more heartbreaking it is. So like, no matter what sport it is, basketball, football, baseball, volleyball, whatever, the better your team starts a game and you're like in the lead and in the last seconds you lose, the more your heart is stomped on the ground, right? Like it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. Or I think about, uh, I'm sure I'm the only one that can relate to this, but man, I was so pumped for the year 2020. Right, man, there's all 2020 vision. We haven't even had a D now, I think about like uh 2020 Vision, I think it was called for High School D Now earlier this year. Um, and it was like at uh, Passion's big conference, uh, our college conference, they talked about the roaring 20s. We're back. We're going to roar for Christ. It's going to be awesome. And I think it was um, Denise Stout. I don't know if she's in here this morning, but she posted uh, a meme a while back that was like, if 2020 was a slide, and it was like, boom, I just straight to the ground. That's kind of how it was, or it is, I should say, that we had this great start is what it felt like. And then this kind of epic failure or just tragic, not that we're like dead, but like it all came to an abrupt halt is what it, halt is what it felt like. There's a, word, a literary word we use for that and it's tragedy. When things, you think you're going well and then it ends poorly, that's a tragedy. If we can throw up that next slide, um, there's actually kind of north at Fry, uh, according to these kind of two phrases, most stories fall in to one of these two categories. So a comedy is where the story starts off good and then tension is entered into the story and you get here what some authors call the winter of the story. Uh, and in winter, either you die or what's the next season? Spring, right? So in a story, either something tragic happens and it ends <laughs> here or the story shifts, something good happens, the, 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 um, 
The protagonist in the story makes a wise decision and it shifts back up and you get restored to kind of the original order, the original form. So it says most stories really all fall into one of two categories. It's either a comedy or it is a tragedy. The reality is this is true of our lives as well. We we have seasons, I know, but really big picture, ultimately your life is going to be a, by the way, comedy, not like, ha ha, that's funny, but like comedy as in the, the tension is relieved and you're restored to right order with God or tragic that your, your, your life ends in hopelessness and despair. Not to be a drag or anything this morning. I'm gonna assume I'm not the only one that could say, I don't want my life to end. There's Denise, by the way. Hey, <laughs> I don't want my life to end in tragedy. I'm going to assume no one out there would be like, actually, I I just want, yes, I want my life to be tragic. Like, stop being a drama queen, all right? No. (laughs) No one wants their life to end in tragedy. I want to be able to say, like Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Even as believers in God, people, their life can end in tragedy. They lose sight of God. So the the question is, how do I prevent my life from being a tragedy? How do I live a life that enables me to say ultimately, like like Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. How can I do that? Well, one, uh, you you learn from other people's mistakes, right? I was watching a little clip on ESPN and Tim Tebow, the great theologian, (laughs) said, uh, history doesn't always repeat itself, but we can always learn from history, right? That's a fact. So a way we can learn, okay, I don't want my life to be tragic. We learn from those who have had tragic lives. What were the mistakes they made? And the reality is, believe it or not, the Bible is full of stories like that, of people who started well, but ended poorly. And again, it seems like the higher you fly, the harder you fall, right? <laughs> Scripture's full of people like that. In Chronicles, it outlines really the story of, of Israel and the story of so many key influential leaders in Israel highlights a lot of those tragedies and comedies. Turn, if you have your Bible, I hope you do, turn to 2 Chronicles 26. And if you don't have your Bible, there is a Bible, should be a Bible in the chair in front of you. Man, grab that, that is yours to keep forever, <laughs> Second Chronicles 26. Second Chronicles 26. I'm going to go ahead and just tell you, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. King Uzziah, his life is a tragedy. Like the dude started off really well. You're going to see. I was even talking with somebody this morning. They kind of like made me nervous because they were asking what I was preaching on. And I'll just tell you, it was Pastor David. He's like, what you preaching on this morning? And so I told him, and I was like, yeah, King Uzziah and his, his tragic life. And he was like, wasn't King Uzziah a good guy? And I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> but then we talked. He's like, oh yeah, we're on the same page. But the dude started off really well, really well. But his life ended in tragedy. So the question we're gonna see this morning is like, how did that happen? <laughs> how did a guy who started so well have a tragic ending? Before we start reading chapter 26, let me just pray for us. 
God, would you just make us aware of your presence this morning? Or would you open our eyes to, to reality, to who you are and even to our current situation, to the path that we're on? And Lord, I pray that if we're headed towards tragedy, dependent on our own will and self, God, that you would open our eyes this morning, shake us up a little bit. Lord, may your word just be alive to us this morning. May we have fun as, as we study it and dive in. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Second Chronicles 26, verse one. And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old. Are there any 16-year-olds in the house? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Are y'all, man, 17, anybody? All right, Howard, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Who was 16 years old and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. So did y'all catch that? 16 years old and he's the king. 16 years old. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. That's a weird way of saying when the king died. Uzziah was 16 years old, don't miss it, when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Dude, talk about a good start. 16 years old, and you're the king of the nation. Like, can you imagine this guy's yearbook? Like, you're talking about voting for superlatives. You're like, I think King Uzziah is most likely to succeed. Wait, he already succeeded. Like, he's already the king at 16 years old. And not only is he the king at 16 years old, it says he's a godly man. In, the verse, in verse four, it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So there were so many kings, we know, especially if you read First and Kings and First and Second Chronicles, so many kings who did not seek the Lord. But Uzziah, at age 16, is already kind of, you could say, going against the grain, doing the godly thing, and living for God. This is a great start. It says God's making him prosper. Not only is he godly, we're going to say this was a gifted king. Again, a great start. Verse 6. He went out and made war against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. Real, real quick, if you're like, hey, what is all that? King Uzziah, under his leadership, trade and territory was expanded to the biggest it had been since Solomon was king. So not only is he a godly king, for a young buck, the dude's doing a good job. <laughs> like their territory, their influence, their wealth as a nation was expanding. Verse seven, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbel and against the Munites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt for he became very strong. So this dude, he's godly, he's effective, and this, he's famous. This, this is a good start. It's a really good start. Verse nine, moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate, and at the angle, and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness, and cut out many cisterns. For he had large herds, both in the Shepelah, it's a good guess, 
and in the plain, and he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. So not only was Uzziah godly, uh, gifted, effective, he was also, he would have made a good West Texan, right? Because it says he loved the soil. So like, you don't get a better start, right? This dude is sharp. Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war. In divisions according to the numbers in the muster made by Jeel, the secretary, and Masiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of fathers' houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500. Who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy? And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, so think armor, bows, and stones for slinging. This dude is doing well. This is the kind of king that everybody loves. That's pretty rare, right? (laughs) We know in our day and time, it's not very often that the whole country loves one leader. That's what's going on here. This dude is so gifted. He's so godly. He's so effective. There's so much prosperity under his leadership that everybody likes him. His his fame is spreading far and wide. For Israel to be such a little, little country, man, his effectiveness, his fame was well known. He's he's making a big splash for a pretty small place. How can that go wrong? When you have so much going right for you, you have such a good start, how can that go wrong? It even says, verse 15, in Jerusalem he made machines and invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. So it's, it's not just that like they're kind of establishing what had been good. They're breaking ground in new inventions. So he's kind of, He's breaking the mold for kings. This is not just, I love this because it's not just like he's some old guy who had wisdom. He was doing and living out the wise life of the fathers before him, but also we can relate to it because he was a young man. Some of you students in here, as a young man, he had a good start. But the end of verse 15 is interesting. Says, and his fame spread far, for he was marvelously, marvelously helped. So, who, who, what's the implication according, especially to the previous verses that we've already seen? Who's helping Uzziah? God was helping. He was marvelously, marvelously helped until he was strong. Does anyone, uh, your translation say a different word than strong? Yes, sir. Powerful. Anybody else? We got strong, powerful. Kind of same idea, right? He was, God was helping him in incredible ways and says until he was strong. This is in a story. This is what we call tension. So I should really come over here. <laughs> tension is building. So if you start in summer and you move towards fall and if winter is either going to be death or a turnaround towards spring, the more tension you get, the more closer you get to the winter, Right? Do you feel that in the story? By the way, this is, I'm showing you this because it's helpful for when you're reading the Bible in general. So a little, little teaching here too this morning. But do you see the tension in the story? 
Verse 16. But when he was strong, when he became powerful, he grew proud to his destruction. Life's going really well. Life's going really good. Became prideful. End of verse 16, it says, For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So before we read any more, you need to see what's going on here. So to go in and burn incense on the altar of incense was a really a privilege, a task reserved only for the priest. And at the altar of incense, as, they, uh, as the incense went up to the Lord, it was a picture of the, peop- the prayers of God's people going up to the Lord. So this was a consecrated responsibility only for the priest because they were a representative of, as mediators, that you have God and you have man, and you need a mediator to make the relationship right. So the priests were consecrated as representative of, hey, we are mediators between God and man. So Uzziah says, you know what? I'm going to go in and do this myself. Verse 17. But Azariah, the priest, went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Question, were they right to do that? Yeah. This is reserved for the priest. He's going in there all big and bad, and they're like, what are you doing? They were absolutely right to say, Uzziah, you're out of line. But look how he responds, verse 19. Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. So leprosy is a disease that can uh, reveal itself, you could say, or it affects your skin, your nervous system, your mucous membranes. And immediately as he's standing there, really in the presence of the Lord, leprosy breaks out on his forehead. Verse 20, and Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. So the Jews understood because of God's law, leprosy to be a very serious disease, even sometimes in their mind was representative of uncleanliness, of being separated from God. And so the situation goes from Uzziah, what are you doing? To, oh my goodness, we have to get him out of here. It says they rushed him out quickly and he hurried, excuse me, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. So Uzziah realized he messed up. It says that he himself hurried, meaning they didn't have to drag him out because he was still mad. No, he realizes that went too far. So he runs out as well. Verse 21, and King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, wrote. And Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belonged to the kings. For they said, he's a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Did Uzziah start really well? Yeah. How'd he finish? 
Not good. Just to make sure it sticks. Comedy or tragedy? Absolutely a tragedy. So a question, I think, the, while the, the story is profound, it's very simple. What was, what caused the tragedy? What caused him who started so well to finish so poorly? What was it? Pride. It was pride. It said he, he grew proud to his destruction. See, when you become prideful, you become your own worst enemy. All of us struggle with pride. But when you, when you turn and say, Man, I, I need to, to turn back to the Lord, I need to be humble. Man, you, you see this kind of restoration in your life. When you choose to get stuck in pride, your life ends in tragedy. I don't mean just like you die on the moment and you get leprosy and you die, but you experience tragedy. What could have been is lost. How can your life end in tragedy? Pride. Hey, you know what's interesting? You know what Uzziah means, the name Uzziah in the Hebrew meant? It's kind of ironic. Uzziah meant or means strong in the Lord. See, pride causes you to forget where your hope and your source of strength and even Influence comes from. And it causes you to unplug from that power source. It's so clear over and over in the text that God was the one who was enabling Uzziah to prosper, to be, have a fruitful life. Verse five, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Verse seven, God helped him. Then in verse 15, he was marvelously helped. Pride disconnects you from your source of hope, from your source of strength. Because I was strong in the Lord, not strong in himself. But the problem was he started to think he was strong in and of himself. And the reality is God doesn't share his glory. God doesn't go, oh, you know what? Man, Brandon, you're doing a really good job. You should be prideful. You should just think you're awesome. No, James 4 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to who? The humble. So when you walk in pride, like, man, I'm killing it. God's like, nah, I haven't that. All of a sudden, even as a follower of Christ, when you walk in pride, it's as if God says, nah, we're not getting along right now. (laughs) Because God doesn't share his glory. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I I think there's a few things in this story that we, we learn about pride. Here's one. When you become prideful, you become your own worst enemy. When you become prideful, you become your own worst enemy. When you look at the story, it's not like all of a sudden the the enemy came in and started attacking Uzziah and so now his circumstances were bad. It's not like all of a sudden Uzziah became sick and now he's made a tragic decision. No, he became his own worst enemy. If you look at verse 16, it says, "But, but when he was strong, he grew proud. And look what the result of that was to his destruction. See, pride, when you allow yourself to walk in pride, it's like, just allowing a little bit of poison into your life one day at a time. And that, pro- that poison, which is pride, will kill you. 
When you become prideful, you become your own worst enemy. Here's another thing about pride that I think we can't miss in the story. When you become prideful, you can't accurately see what's happening on your path. Say it again. When you become prideful, you can't accurately see what's happening on your path. What I mean by that is pride makes you think it's you that's killing it. Pride makes you think you're the one that's so strong. More than that, the idea that pride enables you from seeing accurately what's happening on your path, or uh, or disables you, I should say. If you looked at Uzziah's life, the trajectory of his life started so well as a 16-year-old, from your, from your perspective, it looks like an upward trajectory, doesn't it? Right? Become, this is weird, sorry. Become king at 16. Um, strong, ter- expanding territory, expanding trade, strong military, inventing machines. That's what it looks like, right? It's upward trajectory. But what was actually happening, because, of, because pride was seeping into his life, he was actually on a downward trajectory, wasn't he? Pride deceives you as to what's actually happening in your life. It can look like you're on the up and up, but if you're allowing pride to seep into your life, you're actually on the down and down, whatever that is. You're going the wrong way. You're headed towards not comedy, you're headed towards tragedy. Regardless of how successful you may look in the eyes of the world, if pride is seeping into your life, you're on your way down, buddy. Pride comes before the fall. It's because of that we're we're most susceptible when life is going well. Because pride makes you your own worst enemy. When life goes really well and you're suspect to pride, man, you're on a dangerous, slippery slope. Here's a third thing about pride we see in this story. When you become prideful, you do, you do things God has not given you to do. When you become prideful, you do things God has not given you to do. I was thinking about this. What an odd thing, what an odd way to display pride. Like if, if the text didn't say that he grew prideful with his destruction, I think we may would miss that Uzziah was being prideful when he went in to the altar of incense. Right? Like it just, we probably just would read that like, okay, that's weird. But the reality is why it's prideful. When, when you become prideful, you figure you get a free pass and you overestimate the, um, the authority that God has given you. And you overestimate your right relation, on your own, your right relationship with him. Let me explain it this way. I, we hinted at this earlier. The priest was the one as the mediator between God and man who was to go and offer uh, incense at the altar of incense. But beyond that, once a year, the priest would go in and consecrate with blood, sprinkle blood on the altar of incense to purify it. Because on our own, our prayers are not good enough for God. We need a mediator to make us in right relationship with God. So Uzziah, when he just waltzes into the altar of incense, he's basically saying, God, I'm good enough for you on my own. I don't need a mediator. If that was true, then Jesus would not have had to come. 
We are broken, sinful, messed up people, and that's why we need Jesus. Amen? He is the mediator between God and man. He is the God-man. See, when you walk in pride, you forget that you desperately need Jesus. Am I making sense? So to, to the unbelievers, so if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus, you never placed your faith and trust in him, it means you're going to continue to kind of stiff arm Jesus and like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good with God. And the reality is that kind of pride will, will end you in tragedy in a place called hell. As a believer, we still do that sometimes. We've trusted in Christ, but then we kind of get in this like, man, I'm good. I'm good on my own. God, me and God are down. And you kind of think you get a free pass on certain sins. You can live how you want. No, you still need a mediator. You still need to cling to your mediator, and his name is Jesus. Pride pushes you to think that you're better off than you actually are. Teaches you to say yes to things that you shouldn't say yes to. One more thing I think we see about pride in this picture. So the fourth thing I've given you. When you become prideful, you push back when others push you towards Christ. When you become prideful, you push back when others push you towards Christ. I think just guessing, I don't know. I think if when the priest Azariah, was that his name? Azariah came in and told Uzziah, what are you doing? I think if Azariah, uh, sorry, if Uzziah would have responded in humility, I think you could have seen this in King Uzziah's life. I think you could have seen, oh man, he got prideful, he messed up. But then he responded in humility and repentance and God restored him. But instead, Uzziah because he was prideful, what did he do? What's the text say happened when they came and called him out? What are you doing? What, what, did he, what was his response emotionally? He got angry. Who are you to tell me what to do? Boom, tragic. Prideful people push back when people call them out on, hey, dude, what are you doing? Are you sure that's a good idea? Are you making a wise decision? Man, are you pursuing Christ right now? I mean, this whole, <laughs> this whole mess, this whole I want to say things I shouldn't, sorry. Uh, this trash, whatever, of when someone calls you out on sin and you're like, man, only God can judge me. That's just pride masquerading as godliness. When someone calls you out on some sin or just confronts you, they should do it in love. Hey, I'm concerned about you. And you push back and get all mad. And you mean, only God can judge me. You don't know me. You're not being godly. You're being prideful. Pride causes you to push back when people push you towards Christ. I think that that's a good diagnostic to examine your heart of whether or not you're prideful. And when people call me out, when people hopefully lovingly encourage me to pursue Christ and not my own sin, how do I respond? Because pride blinds us to what's reality, I want to real quick give us a little more of a diagnostic for being able to see my walking in humility or walking in pride. This is not my mirror, by the way. <laughs> I stole this from my daughter's room. Um, <laughs> make sure I said it straight. All right. So pride, when things go well, if you're prideful, you just look at yourself and you're like, dude, you're just killing it right now. <laughs> you're man, looking great, really. You're awesome. When pride, or when things go well, if you're prideful, you just look at yourself. And when things go poorly, if you're prideful, you're like, 
look at all those dirty, this was terribly dirty. <laughs> you look, you're like, look at all those terrible people out there. I can't believe it's totally their fault. And God, what are you doing? Because I, if it was me, I'd be doing good right now. Do you get that? Pride, when things go well, you look at yourself. When things go poorly, you blame it on other people. See, the humble person flips that. The humble person, when things go bad, they go, all right. I don't, like, we're not talking literally, you take a mirror and do this, right? When things go bad, if you're humble, you go, man, come on, Hayes. Are you not pursuing Christ right now? Like, what? Are you too self-centered? What's going on here? And when things go well and you have, and you have a humble heart, you go, man, I'm so grateful for Tony, man. He's been encouraging me. He's helped me see things from a different perspective. God, I'm grateful for him. God, thanks, thanks for Katie. She's been a big part of the team and helping out. And Lord, thanks for using her. You know who primarily you see and look through the window and are grateful for when things go well? If you have a humble heart, you see King Jesus who gives us a totally different picture of a king than Uzziah. See, Uzziah walked in pride, but Philippians tells us that Jesus walked in humility. Philippians says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, speaking of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Carl Henry said, how can you be arrogant when standing next to the cross? So we look to not Uzziah, we look to Jesus as our true king. And he demonstrated humility. And he, he calls us as followers of Christ to not have these tragic lives that end in pride, but to look at the humility of Christ and say, I'm going to be humble too. To fix our eyes on Christ. I love what Andrew Murray said. He wrote an incredible book on humility called Humility. <laughs> he said, humility is the disappearance of self and the vision that God is all. So humility is throwing away the mirror, disappearance of self and being captivated by how amazing God is being enthralled by his glory so the call this morning if you are a believer is to repent of pride say God would you make me humble and the best way to do that believer is to remind yourself of the gospel. This is super, oh, can we go back to that side? That's totally my bad, I misled you there. Can we go back to that, that, perfect. To remind yourself of the gospel, that is this, that all of our lives apart from Christ should end in tragedy. They do end in tragedy apart from Christ. That all of us have no hope of forgiveness, of love, of eternity with God on our own because all of us end in prideful rebellion against God. But Jesus, who though he is God himself, 
He left heaven's throne, experienced death for us, death on a cross, but three days later, rose again. That should get you excited. Rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And because his story is a comedy and not a tragedy, if you place your faith and trust in him, your life also has hope and life enjoy what we call a comedy. <laughs> if you're a believer, fix your eyes on that story that draws you towards humility. If you're not a believer, this morning, the call is to realize your life is a tragedy apart from Christ, but because of Jesus and what I just explained, you can have hope and forgiveness and eternal life in him. If you simply, simply say, Jesus, I realize I'm a prideful, broken, simple, messed up person, that you left heaven's throne to come and die on a cross for me. And three days later, you rose again. And so Jesus, I'm gonna turn from my sin and turn to you, place my faith and trust for right relationship with God in you, Jesus. And I'm gonna submit to you as the Lord of my life. Romans says that you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Not if you're good enough, not if you get things right. No, when you call on Jesus, you will be saved. This morning, if that's you, after the service, myself and a few of the pastors will be down front and we'd love to talk to you about your commitment in Christ. Or maybe you're, you're already a Christian, but you just would love some prayer to, to grow in and walk in humility. After the service, we'd love to pray with you about that, talk with you about that. If you're online, be sure to connect with us there. We'll follow up with you that way as well. But we're gonna sing this song called Forever. And as we do, let's fix our eyes on the victory provided to us in Christ through his humility. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being a humble king. It's because of your humility that we can know you and walk with you and even have forgiveness for our own stupid pride. God, may we realize that Really, all of this, we're only strong in you. God, may we take on, in a sense, the name of Uzziah and be strong in the Lord. And God, may we celebrate and rejoice in the fact that because you faced the tragedy of the cross, but then rose again, our life doesn't have to be tragic. May we celebrate that. As we sing this song, God, help us to respond boldly. So in Jesus that we pray, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 